For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, in 1958, Charles Starkweather went on a killing spree with his 14-year-old girlfriend. But was Carol Ann Fugit his willing accomplice or his emotional hostage? We'll discover the Showtime series, The Twelfth Victim. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Fugit. Hello, Kevin. What did you just call me? <laughs> Sorry. Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. That was hot, by the way. No, it was mean. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. So, Kevin, this is Thursday's program. Yes. What's happening on Monday's podcast? Coming up on Monday, we're going to be talking about the trending Netflix series. It's called The Diplomat, starring Carrie Russell. Um, so we have kind of a big topic to talk about tonight with the 12 victims. Should we just get into it? Why not? All right, let's just do it. Let's drop the chit chat and drop that first clip right now. There was a certain, you can't make it up, fictional quality to it. It's the nice teenagers who are trying to help out uh, who get raped and killed by the bad teenagers. In 1958, the nation was horrified by a random murder spree across the Midwest by teenager Charles Starkweather and his girlfriend Carol Ann Fugate. Authorities said Starkweather was responsible for 11 deaths, including those of Fugate's parents and sister, but they didn't believe the 14-year-old's claims that she was an unwitting accomplice. Her expression is still stone cold, and she looks angry. But in that photo, she looks like a teenager. When he shifted blames for the crimes on Carol, she said she was the last of Starkweather's victims. She received little sympathy from the courts or the public. Even after her parole in 1976, her infamy followed her everywhere, threatening her dreams of an ordinary life. Well, you can't know what it's like to know that you're, you're a person in history and everyone hates you. They hate you. And knowing, knowing you were a victim. The Showtime series, The Twelfth Victim, reexamines Carol Ann Fugate's actions and the criminal trial that made her the youngest woman convicted for first-degree murder. It also discusses the murder's influence on movies, music, and pop culture. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the 12th victim. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Laura, you feel like this show is a portrait of how far our understanding of victims versus accomplices has come. Like that is kind of the whole point, right? Yeah. And I think when, I mean, so obviously we've got, uh, and Carol, and I keep calling her different names because it's such an unusual spelling. <laughs> we just got to get that out of the way. C-A-R-I-L. Uh, it's very literal. Yeah. Um, and 
So we're watching this at the time and we're seeing like old reports and we're hearing people talk about at the time how, you know, Carol is, uh, you know, along for the journey with Charles, her boyfriend and everything. Well, she's 14. Okay. He's 19. And, you know, you have people like, oh, she's a tough looking broad and like all these. And I'm like, tough looking broad. She's fucking 14 people. Yeah. Um, You know, but if, if this happened now. We would all be like, oh, my gosh, this 14-year-old girl was taken in by this guy. And I think we would probably have a different perspective. But I'm I think, not sure about that. Maybe <laughs> not, though. I mean, that's the thing. I am not really totally sure what her role was at this point. But I think what we see at this time is this, you know, examination of society at this time. You have film coverage of this that shows these two young people and you have remarks of authorities and you know people in the public at that time basically projecting that she's an accomplice and i think there is no question that there was another explanation and i think that's where i'm coming from there was no other explanation given at the time we're like yeah bonnie and clyde here they come the original bonnie and clyde and I, I came away with sympathy for her, although, I mean, it's like I've said in things like Making a Murderer, you know, I'm not sure that Stephen Avery didn't do it. I'm sure the system wasn't fair that put him there. So, Kevin, one thing that I just want to mention to you, because mm-hmm. we talked about it a whole lot when we were watching this, and it's not unimportant in this documentary, weirdly. Oh, you're going to, I think I know what you're going to say. People looked so fucking old back then in comparison to how they look now. They just did, right? So Carol Fugate was 14. <laughs> she looked like she was like 29 years old, right? Yeah, in some angles. And then there's some photos where right. she looks exactly. Right. But then there was also. One of the victims, one of the high school victims. Oh, my God. Yeah. He like, looked like he was running an AMP. Jesus Christ. It was like they were picked up by this high school couple. And I was like, those people were in high school? Like they were 40 years old. Yeah. Meantime, all those clips of Martin Sheen in Badlands. How old was Martin Sheen? 33. No, right? What? Yes, he was 33 and Sissy oh Spacek God. was 25. And I'm like, but all the real people looked so old. And I have to say, it's sort of, and granted, I know that like your perceptions are what they are. People look the way they looked. But in my mind, I was like, you kind of in some ways are like, she was 14, but I could imagine being a person in America and having a child who actually looked 14 and mm. then seeing the way that these people, they, they, they said that they styled her for court and stuff and she looked different. But like everybody looked old as fuck in this. Like Starkweather looked like he was 55 years old by the time he mm-hmm. was, he was 19. And that's, I'm sorry, that's not unimportant because I just, I mean, granted people back then did look old. That being said, we were just talking about Kevin that Carol might have been treated differently today. What are yeah, your thoughts? I, I, well, I think yes and no. I mean, I think that part of the, the justice system is set up more to find a way to handle a, a juvenile defendant. We've written books about this. Yeah, yeah, but I also will say that, like, if this were the case today, and it would get an awful lot of media attention. Maybe the equivalent of a 1958 media attention, when you had like three television networks it might get the same kind of nancy grace treatment and then the prosecutors would feel pressure to charge her as an adult and she was tried as an adult anyway so i i feel like in some ways i think definitely our perception of a 14 year old defendant 
uh, is different. Outlaw Charles Starkweather and his girlfriend, Carol Fugate, are both in custody, riding separately in a convoy of cars bound for Lincoln. Sheriff Merle Carnop will ensure Starkweather cannot escape justice, while Sheriff Carnop's wife, Gertrude, will escort Fugate. I think it kind of comes down to the system and our society basically thinks, well, if you're guilty, you're guilty. And that ends up being part of her her issue going forward as she's looking for some kind of redemption or the, her eventually her pardon. You know, the ability to say, look, I've paid my debt to society or at the very least, hey, you're wrong about what I actually did. Right. That's I mean, I think the provocative thesis here is that she was an emotional hostage to uh, to Starkweather as he was going around killing people. And everybody thought, well, because she didn't run away when she had the chance, she must have she been on. She did run away when she had the chance. Right. But they're like, oh, but all those times and before, weeks before. She had a note in her pocket that said, if law enforcement finds this, yeah. help me. Yes. And I will say... That woman in the diner who says, I sold her the hamburgers and then she was staring at me the whole time. You could interpret that as she's a stone cold killer or you could interpret that as she was saying, look at me. You, you know, I agree with you. No, right? I yeah. know that. But I'm saying what's so wild to me about this is I was like and they're like, it would be different today. I'm like, we literally wrote two books about women, young, like teenager, teenagers yeah. who were like pulled in by older men into murder situations in which they were like like definitely less culpable than the older mm-hmm. men, right? Yeah. And they were treated like like as if they were the ones who did the murder because they were there. And so like I just don't think it would be different today. Yeah, just to wrap up that thought, I, in recent times even locally here, we've seen cases where like the girlfriend is going along or she's even instigating the boyfriend's murder like of her parents like that's the thing like people couldn't figure out about about uh, Fugate and, and Starkweather oh, you know she had been in on when he killed the parents or you know all, all that other stuff uh, but like in these cases that we talk about now usually it's a personal cause murder like the parent is standing in the way of their relationship or something like that it's not usually a killing spree yeah right so it is it is different but i think a lot of people still like you know it ends up creating this trope of okay two crazy violent lovers gonna get in the car and go wreak havoc it's also a weird detail the beginning was i hit a list very low iq like he was very disturbed like it was really so toby your notes surprise me because you say the show makes a case that carol isn't guilty but you're not convinced that's basically what all of your notes say so just what do you think here just thoughts well, uh, so the way it's set up is it's four parts. The first part is just pretty much retelling what happened. And then the next three parts are all trying to make the case that she is more or less innocent. I don't think anything they actually present really convinces me of that. Like, it, it may be true. And, and you know, in, in some ways, I hope it's true. But the stuff that they use to try and convince people or, or try and use as evidence, yeah, it's not in same, my mind, yeah. is all just pretty much BS. And, and it's mostly people like wanting it to be true and then trying to find things that can try and convince other people. So, for instance, like the, the evidence that they present is regression hypnosis. Bullshit. I not agree. a thing. All right. Body language analysis from a guy who's a lip reader. 
Okay. Oh yeah. Not a thing. <laughs> what the fuck? Lie detector testing. You know, not really a thing. Like maybe a little bit more than those other two, but still not admissible. Regarding Starkweather's crime spree, did you believe your family would be killed if you didn't accompany him? Yes. This test is over. Remain still for 10 seconds, please. As far as I'm concerned, and I don't think they present any other, like, quote-unquote evidence. And so none of that, to me, makes any kind of convincing case. That's you. And, and I think it's tough because I don't think there's, like, real forensic evidence that they can go to at this point or they can go back and and find witnesses to talk to again who are going to have any kind of reliable memory about what happened so you're kind of left with this kind of stuff but none of that like moves the needle even a slight amount and then the just like the reasons that they use like why was she convicted again i just think are just totally wrong-headed there's you know they say at one point that uh somebody says we don't like to have these like this much amount of damage done by one person you know we want to have it spread out among it's like no like our nation is obsessed with serial killers right if it was one person like people would be fine with that radio host gets a bunch of calls during his call-in show and they're all like really feel learning you changed my life yeah and he's like well that you know that's you know what witness i can't remember if it's witnesses or evidence but whatever he said it was it wasn't that he just hears some people like sticking up for her he's like oh yeah well you know maybe she is innocent i'll counter you on one thing the nation was not obsessed by serial killers when this crime happened it was before that but the nation was obsessed with the idea of women being bad always which is i think why she was convicted i do think people liked the idea of this young man being ensorcelled by this like vixen young woman who, because the first victims were her family, right? So I think that there was something sort of like really intriguing oh. about that part of the story. Yeah, victims two, three, and four. Right. Well, yes, but like yeah. gas yeah, station, you, yeah. you know what I mean? There's something about like, I got him to kill my family and then we went on a spree together. So there's something like believable about the fact that like, do this for me and then I'll go with you on the road and kill a bunch of people. What for me, like the most compelling stuff for me that points to her, which, which by the way, and I agree with you, Toby, I don't think, I think she was a victim because I think there's a lot of evidence that points to it, but I don't think documentary does a good job pointing to. He sexually assaulted like some of these victims, right? Like he went down into that thing and raped oh, the yeah. body. Yeah. He even said she was in the car and didn't participate in that. Like he didn't put her at the scene of some of those murders, right? She's fucking 14 years old. Yeah. To Toby's point that the only possible way of finding exculpatory evidence would have been if Starkweather said that. And instead he kind of like throws her under the bus. He said, and I can't remember if this actually came up in the documentary or not, but, you know, he, you know, put himself behind the trigger for nine of the 11 deaths and said that she had the shotgun for those two teenagers. But I mean, there's, there's no evidence of that. And it's just, but other than that, you're right to this, you know, hypnosis isn't going to do it. Again though, Kurt Anderson or one of the experts says, well, he had an IQ of what, 70 something. So he was also a vulnerable, um, to interrogation too. We have to say like, he did kill people, right? Like we know that, right? Because yes. he admitted it. Yeah. 
He is also not a reliable fucking narrator in this story, given interrogation techniques that were used at the time. And given, Laura, right, what we heard on tape that these interrogators did to this girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So how are we to believe, and I don't want to say, like, I don't want to be a Starkweather defender, right? We heard them interrogate this girl. So how are we also to believe that anything they got him to say is reliable either? What did you think of the interrogation tapes that you heard when they were interrogating this girl? Uh, holy shit, this would never fly today. Um, no, I mean, it totally you, would. What are you talking well, about? How far? Like, no, I mean, I was like, I was watching like the, the one police officer who was interrogating her about them having sex. And it was like, did he stick it in? How far did he stick it in? Did he stick it in? Did he at any time put his penis up in your sexual organs? Yes. And did he stick it in very far? No. Did he put it in slightly? He didn't put it in an inch. He put it in less than an inch? Yes. He did put it in, but less than an inch. Is that right? Yes. You know, and then the... um descriptions that we have although there is physical evidence on some of these murders because the descriptions that we have of these murders are extremely gruesome honestly like nothing we've ever heard like just stabbing people and then like just shoving rocks yeah shoving rocks and things up people's vaginas and like in a way that is beyond anything we've heard in terms of not only murder but torture and also you know what they're doing with the body afterwards i mean it was a whole new level so you know it's it's hard to say but i mean i think overall based on the interrogation of carol i don't feel like we have a really accurate portrayal or i don't think we have an accurate report from her at the time yeah and since then I mean, and that's the other part about this that's challenging is we see her in various clips and interviews over the years, but we don't hear from her now. Yeah. So all we can really do is rely upon past reporting and past statements she's made. And it doesn't sound like she's in the greatest shape now. I mean, we've, we heard at one point she, she was not able to really speak. Um, it's, it's a really terrifying case. Yeah, I have to say, Kevin, uh, I think that his naivete is sort of like when I look at those murder scenes, I'm like, it's more about like his there's no delicate way to say this. He's a lack of sophistication as a criminal. Stark weather. Yes. In many, many ways. I mean, that's that's what I just kept thinking about. It was like this is not like a sophisticated killer. So, Kevin, there's no graceful way to do this again. (laughs) Why don't we just do the business section real quick? I've decided to give grace up. (laughs) Well, sometimes we can do it. Sometimes we can't. Want to welcome all the folks at the Let's Do What We Do level. Let's do what we do. Uh, Let our listeners know. Yeah, where we don't have any ads, but we still have this section in your feed for some reason. Because you like it. Yeah. Like Toby said, he couldn't imagine that people would pay more to hear less of us. (laughs) We're going to charge them a whole lot of money to hear none of us, too. We can have that level. But uh, that's what we've got going on on Patreon. A couple other things there. If you join us at the leading off level, you get things like the Crime Writers on After Show. You're going to get Married with Podcast. On the latest Married with Podcast, Rebecca and I take a question from a parent who wants to know when to stop letting their young children bathe together. What's that face for? When they're when they're nineteen and when twenty-one, they're in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> when they're fourteen and they look like a tough broad. 
<laughs> when they can describe uh, all sorts of murders that they participated in. That's when. Uh, you also, at the Bricker scale level, get the latest episode of Leave It to Bricker. And Toby Ball is preparing uh, for his next Deep Dive Book Club podcast. The book is Motor Spirit. It is about the uh, Zodiac murders and that live taping is going to be may 10th toby will be welcoming rebecca lavoy janet varney and jillian pensavale an all-star cast also want to let you know that um over on these are the stories we've got a new episode dropped yesterday it's on the classic law and order episode double down yeah actually this is an episode that won an award an edgar award for best television mystery series and uh, the writer of that was someone we had on the program at zuckerman yes this is one in which uh mccoy and curtis uh try to make a deal with a cop killer to find a kidnapped man before he dies and then when they make the deal they find out the guy's dead already so they want to go after him and you know it's it's all kind of crazy stuff and we get to go to jack mccoy's apartment and see he's got a grandfather clock and our, our guest was tucker carlson no, it was Brady Carlson. Oh, that's right. That's right. I also want to let you know that it's Thursday, and so that's when the Crime Writers on newsletter comes out. If you haven't signed up already, go to crimewriterson.com. Put your email address in there. Every week you'll get the latest newsletter, which has things like Crime Writers on behind the scenes, new merch, uh, su- uh, summaries of our reviews, Tweet of the Week, Cat of the Week, and we also list our Patreon patron saints. Nice. Do we list our Patreon patron devils? I, th- I think I just like try to hand that off to you like really oh, smooth oh, oh, oh. so you could you could oh, I was oh. setting you Sorry, up Kevin, just, for the do the hand gesture spike. again okay ready this is how it goes uh, we also have the uh, Patreon patron saints I'm gonna pick it up this time and thus ends the business no, section no we didn't talk about who they are oh who are the saints Kevin god damn it <laughs> who are those saints who are they our Patreon patron saints are Jessica McNeff and Lindsay Rust oh Jessica bless you bless you guys jessica and Lindsay. bless you for supporting us bless you to those who don't bless you to everyone who muscles their way through the business section apparently you like it but we're going to close it out right now after that somebody just said i should have asked for the one with no business section listen there's always that ff through the 15 seconds button they can use don't I'm tell gonna go them ahead and fade that music out right now So, Toby, you uh, can't believe the footage they have in this documentary. What footage can you not believe they have All uh, of it. in the 12th victim? Uh, I, I, I was actually, <laughs> I was watching it. I was like, is this just like stock footage that yeah. they're like sticking in in the places From that like, it seems like it would make <laughs> sense? But then you like, it, it's just way too specific for it to be just pulling like random stuff that seems like it would make sense. And I think they do talk about how it's sort of the earliest or one of the early yeah. times when, when people had, you know, uh, cameras that they could bring around to places and, and shoot stuff on scene. And this is the first sort of big murder case that that was used in. So, uh, yeah, the footage is quite unbelievable, actually. I thought that was, you know, probably the best part of the whole thing was was how rich the visual aspects of things where they also had some great drone footage of some of the territory that they were covering, which kind of gives you a sense of how, you know, sort of stark and bleak, um, at least Nebraska through that is. camera, that part no of Nebraska can Nebraska be. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like the winter and all this stuff. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was the best part. I thought the first, I thought the first episode was, was, was pretty good. 
Um, yeah. It's just the rest of it, just in my, to, to my eye, completely fell apart. So, Laura, what about this woman whose grandparents were murdered? Because those murders were brutal, yeah. right? And she has decided to take it on as like sort of her personal cause. Mm-hmm. She's sort of taken on Carol's innocence, right? She's taken on like Carol was a victim. It wasn't her fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her parents, like her dad, mm-hmm. who was the child as murder victims, like is not super comfortable <laughs> with this. And there's this very uncomfortable scene where she goes and talks to them and it's like, listen, I'm doing this. And they're like, yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> she also wrote a novel about this, by the way. Yes. And she also uh, testified at the uh, hearing to get her, you know, completely pardoned. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, that that whole side of this, again, so like I said, I, I'm still kind of on the fence as to what I think actually happened. But I thought that was one of the more powerful parts. I mean, there was there was two two scenes in this that were really powerful for me that's aside from the old stuff. And this scene where that woman, the granddaughter, goes to see Carol and sits down next to her and Carol's not really able to speak or whatever. She's older, she's having some issues, but she tells her like, I believe you. That was very powerful. And that was very powerful footage to see. And I, I think at that part in the documentary, I was leaning towards, I felt like Carol was probably a victim in this. And hmm. especially, you know, following the footage of her as a nanny and this family that takes her in. And there was this old clip of her coming in for her birthday and they surprised her. And and, and yeah, we're being led to believe that by this video clip, but I'm like, there's just no way that this person that's coming in could be as cold-blooded as we were led to believe back when the murders happened. Monday, July 30th, and we're secretly planning Carol's birthday party. I liked that we saw at least some people in this documentary that believed Carol to show the other side yeah. of this, regardless of where you land and what happened. You've got some people that are like, yeah, we're not so sure we believe the mainstream like narrative that was put forward at the time. Do you know what I liked that's refreshing? What? To see a prison situation that isn't fucking terrible, right? So, like, this is, like, one weird case where you have this, like, woman who comes in to run the prison, who, by the way, looks like a goddamn model at the time she's running the prison. It's like, I don't know where she came from, but she looks like she, like, stepped out of a Sears catalog and is, like, running this prison. And she's, like, she, like, institutes all these programs where, like, all the inmates are just, like, going swimming at the community (laughs) pool and shit. And it's, like, people are seeing Carol and they're, like, (gasps) (laughs) and it's, like, yeah, like this, it, and it's granted, it's obviously very privileged. It's Nebraska. It's like not like the way prisons normally are in communities that are most affected by incarceration, but like have a house coat and these crazy cat eye glasses and like do actual programming. It is just like nice in one story to see like actual like like inmates with programs, especially women, because women never get that in incarceration. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. It reminds me of the podcast we listened to. Have you seen this guy or have you seen this man where the guy had been 
in prison for murder and they would go like, hey, we all get to go to the mall for Christmas. Oh, oh my oh, God. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. And then he'd yes. say, yeah. It's like, hey. Maybe you shouldn't take a bunch of people to the mall for Christmas and then wonder where they went. Um, so, Kevin, what about the pop culture aspects of this? Because that was a huge theme throughout this series. Like all the movies and TV shows that have been made that have been inspired by this story. Yeah, you know, I really thought that was the most interesting part of this series for me was, you know, the media pop culture analysis of these particular murders and then sort of how they manifest themselves uh, as inspiration for art. So many of the movies that we've seen from, you know, Natural Born Killers is sort of this absurdist, cartoonish, yeah. you know, version of it. But things like Badlands and uh, I don't forget what the Nicolas Cage movie was. True Romance. Is that what it was? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, all, all these things. The Sadist. Um, the Sadist. Heathers. <laughs> they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't talk about Heathers, but that's one, too, that also fits in this category. Yeah. You know, I think that sort of the many of the things that you know, the authors of the books and the writers of the screenplays that they find fascinating as themes for their work are the sort of the same things that police and prosecutors found fascinating in the real life case in 1959, which was fascination with taboo sex, fascination with violence, the shock of angelic homicide. How could these beautiful young people do this horrible thing? And the need for society to sort of restore its credibility through justice. Those characters become heroes because they're beautiful, they're interesting and charismatic. And the violence in these movies is spatter gore, but there's something really appealing about it. I'm not going to say the thing that always, when you guys say it, makes me pull my hair out when you say, well, this should have been, but I would have been interested in a TV show uh, with more thoughtful analysis about that sort of thing. I, I was really interested in, in sort of how that manifested itself in, in pop culture. I will say what it should not have been, it should not have been four episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there is obviously this very common thread of like, you know, why it's like always this fascination with like how is like if the if there is this there's this like sort of cultural thing where there's a woman adjacent to a crime right it's like well the man yeah like men are violent like men do shit let's give him a cigarette when he's doing his perp walk right but if it's like, like a woman Eve led them into temptation if it's like a woman there has to be a particular kind of evil that is singularly worse Mm -hmm. Right. And that's kind of what's at play here. So not only is she a woman, but she's young. So it has to be extra evil. Like it's like the it has to be like she was born that way. What I found was really interesting. And this is something you see again and again was she always wanted to be the center of attention. She always. <laughs> what 14 year old girl doesn't though? Come on. A thing you could say about literally anyone once they have become the center of attention like think about a person that you wouldn't say that about once they've become the center of attention that's why you're going to jail chloe <laughs> toby ball he always wanted to be the center of attention don't, don't they talk at the beginning about how she was like very difficult to get along with i mean i yes i remember hearing it i was like oh it sounds like she has like 
opposition defiance disorder or something, you know. Or was 13. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> you, mom. Or was having her period at the, for the yeah. first time and was like, <laughs> and by the way, was also a 13-year-old girl dating like an 18-year-old boy with like a 75 IQ and they probably didn't fucking get it, right? And he was sticking it in an inch and like she was trying to hide that from her parents. <laughs> No, seriously. She yeah. was being taken yeah. advantage of by a predatory boy and trying to keep it a secret from her parents. And he was probably like like, like being a predator and she was keeping secrets from them and that's why they weren't getting along with her. Yeah. Like it all fucking makes sense when you see it in the context of now, but definitely she was the devil. Laura, you know that a guy who would go to the lengths of killing your family and hiding their bodies in the outhouse would totally lie about only putting the tip in. <laughs> True. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> was, mm -hmm. yeah. It's disgusting. The whole thing is very disgusting. Yeah, he definitely, he'd be played by Jesse Plemons. Why not make another remake of it? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, that's all I kept thinking. I was like, he's the Jesse Plemons cast. You know, that guy, Jesse yes, Plemons, yes. is married to Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. He's, he looks like Matt Damon if you left him out in the sun for a week. <laughs> oh, God, that's horrible. But he's nicer. Apparently, he's nicer. Jesse Plemons is very, very nice. I don't want to, I don't want to sleep on Jesse Nicer Plemons. than Charlie Starkweather? Much nicer than Charlie Starkweather. That's raising the bar. <laughs> All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the Showtime series, The Twelfth Victim, Laura Bricker? What do you think, thumbs up or thumbs down, for The Twelfth Victim? Yeah, I'm going to go thumbs up on this. Um, what I thought was really interesting about this is that it was, a, you know, a, a really old uh, crime spree, murder spree. But we had old newsreel footage. Um, at one point, one of the things I didn't talk about, oh, my God, the sheriff with the Western tie who was talking at one point about chasing them through town. And they had um, so I thought it was interesting to, you know, we review a lot of really current crimes. And this was something that I felt like it was like from the like in cold blood Truman Capote era sort of, you know, but a crime I, I didn't really know anything about, um, despite the fact that it inspired all these movies and pop culture references. Um, and I think if you're interested in, you know, criminal justice, there's a lot of things that you can look at in this and examine from how victims were treated at the time to how suspected accomplices were treated at the time to how interrogation techniques were done to the fact that they have this like elaborate police chase through the center of town that, um, it was it was really interesting. Um, some of it was very graphic, but overall, I mean, I, I just found this to be a really interesting documentary. What do you think, Toby? Both thumbs up or thumbs down for the twelfth victim? I, I hate to go off program for a second, but uh, the one thing we didn't mention, which isn't really a spoiler, is who was that crazy priest who was like moralizing every once oh, in a while? Yeah, that guy God, was. No, he so was a weird. famous. He was a famous, uh, I don't want to say televangelist, but a famous television personality from that era. And his name was Cardinal something. But yeah, he's a, that's exactly how he was. He's creepy as hell. Um, yeah, so I'm a big thumbs down on this. The first episode I thought was, was, was pretty good, but it tells the entire story. And then it's like, so what's going to happen next? And then I, I hope this isn't a spoiler. Like basically the idea is that it, it, it's trying to make the case that Caroline Fugate, who was, you know, the quote unquote accomplice, is actually kind of innocent. I thought the things that they brought in to try and make this case were 
just absolutely unconvincing and in many cases unconvincing in a way which people who are involved in true crime should know better than to try and convince people of it because it's just it's just bs so i was really like if i was if i was gonna tell somebody what to do i'd say watch the if you're interested in the case watch the first episode which i think is a, a pretty effective job of telling all the details of the case and then just stop because i thought the rest of it was quite honestly just kind of a waste of time i don't really think they make the case uh i think she may have been a victim but it, not for any reasons that they put forward uh so it's a big thumbs down from me kevin flynn i'm going thumbs down just basically i'm going to say that I just felt like I had to get through it. And that's sort of my gut telling me, like, this isn't really interesting. It's a provocative thesis, and it's probably correct. She probably was not an active participant in the murder. She probably was taken along by uh, Charles Starkweather. Not a spoiler to say that's what the, she's uh, what they're arguing here. But in the end, it just felt like they didn't make a very strong case other than sort of circumstantial. The evidence that they gave was almost kind of silly. The source material is a book which just basically makes this argument. And that way, you know, I just thought like, mm, there's just a lot of times our perceptions of people who've been vilified over time will change. People like Monica Lewinsky or Lorena Bobbitt. And could it be Carol Ann Fugate? Well, I just feel like this is just so far in the past that it's not going to create any sort of critical mass of passion or public interest to make that happen. Um, so anyway, that's my way of saying that I'm thumbs down. Yeah, I'm thumbs down too. And it pains me only because... This could have been fucking great. As Toby pointed out, some of the uh, footage that they have is so good. And like, I imagine a version of this that was like totally like noir and cool and like did a really good analysis of the case and like, like wove in some of the pop culture stuff in like a really creative way. What's that weird thing we watched, Kevin, that used the film of the crime to sort of tell the story of the. They, where they made the movie of the thing and they had the actors who were in the movie talking uh, about... Oh, yeah. It was the John Bonet one where they was casting John Bonet. No, Benet's it wasn't no. that. Toby knows what I'm talking about. Captive audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm not saying just like that, but I think there is a creative way this could have been put together like along those lines because there's so much archival footage here. Or like that thing with the um, hostage situation in Germany where they used all the archival footage. This could, I, mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is... There's like other ways this could have been done, that this could have been like a freaking fantastic true crime documentary. It wasn't that. <laughs> it was just like long, lugubrious. After the first episode, I was like, oh, this is great. But then I was like, what is the rest of this going to be about? And I wasn't wrong. So yeah, thumbs down for me for the 12th victim. I don't like to say it because it could have been good. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> Um, we have some dogs of the week this week. Yay, my favorite animals. Yeah, well, it's sad. It's, these are some Exeter dogs. No, I no know. sad dogs. No. Archie, the Wonder Beagle mix, and his sidekick, Percy, owned by my church friends, Bill and Alice, who are also very loyal Crime Murders On listeners. Um, Yay! Both passed away recently. Boo. And Don't like it. Um, so there's, yeah. The dogs are the listeners. No, Bill and Alice are still around because I see them driving around in their little Mini Cooper. Um, and there is a 
cute picture of the two dogs riding in the Mini Cooper with the top down having a last hurrah. But I just, I have been following these dogs for a long time along with their cat friends. Um, They also got some cats from my cat lady friend, Betsy. So um, I'm sorry for Bill and Alice, but I hope they find a new dog or two this this summer to take in their Mini Cooper for rides. Me too. Uh, R.I.P. to your dogs, Bill and Alice, and I'm really sorry, um, and I really, really hope that you get a new dog that can be Dog of the Week or Cat of the Week someday. Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you to submit their animals to be Cat of the Week, any kind of animal, I personally prefer living ones only because it doesn't make me sad. Uh, Mm -hmm. How can they find you on social media? They can find me at Laura Bricker. Toya Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say solidarity for not liking the piece of media review this week. How can they find you on social media? At Toya Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, how can you be found? Even though I don't have a blue check anymore. Me neither. I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. I'm so bummed, too, because the origin story of my blue check was so epic. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Thank you, by the way, listeners, for helping me get that blue check all those years ago. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Raiders On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Raiders On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old page. Just hit there, join the group. We'll let you in if you're not a jerk. Support the show at Patreon.com slash partners in crime media you get the crime writers on after show married with podcast laura bricker's leave it to bricker podcast and toby ball's deep dive book club podcasts our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the terrific livy burdett the executive producer of this fine program is kevin flynn this show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we also wear house coats, cat eye glasses, and no makeup until our release. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Did you say chip chat? Let's drop the chit chat and drop that first clip right now. These people can tell that we're just tired by Thursday's podcast taping and they're just like, fuck it, Rebecca just wants to get it done.